0: The Hellraiser Podcast. Shall we begin?
1: Hello and welcome to the Hellraiser Podcast. Here we are
0: for episode
1: 3. Today we'll be talking about Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. Hell
0: on Earth. Hello,
1: I am (laughs) Phil and... I'm Peter. Yeah. Hi. Hi. So getting straight into the film, it was made in 1992, which was four years after the last one. But once again, they were actually planning on making this film even before the number two had come out. So they certainly had some plans for some sequels. It was written by the same guy that did number two, Peter Atkins, but there's a new director, a guy called Anthony Hickox. And once again, there will be spoilers in this podcast, so we will be talking about the whole film. So if you haven't seen it, then you can either stop this and watch it or just not care and listen.
0: Yeah, just listen. You'll love it. Do that one.
1: It's okay. Right, so this is number three in the series, and it's the last Hellraiser film that has a number in its title. So from now on, you wouldn't really know which one is which, unless you're really paying attention. And for those of you who don't know, there are currently eight Hellraiser films. Eight. With a ninth one in production as we speak. Well, we think it is. Maybe. Stop-start production, but yeah, yeah, hopefully. And it's supposed to be being made at the moment, and it keeps being put back, which is a shame. But that should be coming out, supposed to be this year, probably not going to happen. Maybe next year. And they're also remaking the first one at the moment as well, Mm. apparently. Which is also supposed to come out this year, but it probably won't.
0: Yeah, it's looking a bit grim
1: for future Hellraiser films. (laughs) But we'll let you know as soon as they're going to be released. So we'll be first there, and you can be second. (laughs) (laughs) So, Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. So while this film is a continuation of some of the plot story elements from the first two it is not a direct sequel in that we don't really have the same characters returning for the whole film and carrying on we have some little cameos which we'll talk about later on but this is a new story with new characters and it's certainly not set in the country of the imagination not quite sure if it's england or america anymore this is definitely set in new york
0: yes this is absolutely new york good old america And with this one, I would say this is the film where they were thinking about, let's try and make Pinhead a slasher icon. Yeah, it's very much Pinhead's film. So if you'll remember from the end of
1: Hellbound Hellraiser 2, this big pillar appeared out of a mattress.
0: Yes, with some shocking special effects on it. Yeah,
1: but also Pinhead's face.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And
1: this film, Hellraiser 3, begins with a strange young man who is the owner of a nightclub and, and the inheritor of a big fortune, who likes weird, strange artwork.
0: Yeah, I guess he's supposed to be a kind of mm, man about town, he's into naughty things, he likes strange things, he has a lot of money, but unfortunately for my money in this film he does come off a little bit like a sort of small boy who has some money and he's supposed to be kind of dark and mysterious but he doesn't really come across that way no it's a shame and I think it might be something to do with the,
1: the guy that plays him who does a good job but he's just maybe he's not quite right for the part this should feel like Frank from the first one really yeah and it's, it doesn't feel quite as dangerous as
0: it should. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, if, if Frank had a nightclub that was huge, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it had all this bizarre underground kind of sex stuff in it, that's what they were going for in this film and um, didn't quite achieve that. And not entirely due to the actor, also due to the kind of money that was spent on the club itself. Yeah. You know, they, they were trying to do something. You can see what they were trying to do on the page, but it didn't really come across in the film.
1: So this character, J.P. Munro, he, at the very beginning of the film, is seen being shown around a strange art gallery by a strange tramp character. Mm. And he sees this pillar, and they have a conversation that's very similar to the one Frank had right at the very beginning of the first film, which is, is this yours? No, it's
0: yours. Mm. Is it? Is it, though? It's a good tale technique, isn't it? It is. But he buys it off the tramp, which is a bit weird anyway. It is strange. I mean, there's a lot there in that scene that we know as the audience. We've seen Pinhead's face in this statue. Mm. Uh, We see the box in the statue. We see a kind of tramp-like fellow selling it to him. It's the pyramid art gallery. It's all a little bit like, okay, guys, you know what's coming. Mm -hmm. He's buying this thing. He's taking it away. He's very happy with it, but he doesn't know what's to come.
1: No. Speaking of pyramids, the original idea for the story that Clive Barker came up with just after the second one was to set it in the past in Egypt, and the Great Pyramid in Egypt was a huge puzzle box.
0: Wow. Yeah. Well, they've certainly taken a lot of elements of that idea, haven't they, and put it in this film, in that a puzzle box can be a massive structure yeah. you're not aware of, and the things with Elliot Spencer back in the past, trying mm-hmm. to do a bit, of, a bit of some of that in there.
1: Yeah. And very near the beginning, we also meet our main protagonist, who is another strong young woman that they do enjoy creating these sorts of characters in the Hellraiser films. This one is a TV reporter, a journalist, called Joey
0: Summerskill. She's down on her luck, isn't she? She's not doing very well at being a reporter.
1: Yeah, she's given all the bad jobs no one else wants and she's being told that if she was to show a bit more leg, then she might become an anchor. She's not about all that. She's not about all that. Tight stories, not tight skirts.
0: Yeah, even though she is absolutely gorgeous. And
1: when she says... Tight stories, not tight skirt. She's wearing a very tight skirt. She is. <laughs> <laughs> so she's in this hospital for some reason being told she's been told to go down and find a story, but there's no one there. And then all of a sudden in bursts this young man who's covered in chains.
0: Yeah, he's been uh, basically attacked in a classic Cenobite style. He's covered in chains that are hooked into his skin. Mm. They've rescued him. He's down at the hospital being saved you know from dying from this and i'd just like to say that this is never ever referenced again no. in the film and it doesn't actually make any sense if you no. look at what happens in the rest of the film
1: the reason this is in the film is to get joey interested in the story just to make her aware of it and also for her to meet the character terry who is another young lady who turns up with this chained man Who then helps Joey figure it all out because she knows that this happened at the boiler room, the big club that J.P. Munro owns. But yeah, they never really go into any more details about this guy.
0: Yeah, because in the film it's kind of suggested that basically he was in the boiler room club. He saw the statue that's got Pinhead in it, also got the box in it. He actually prized the box out of the statue and then the chains hooked him. And Mm -hmm. he managed to get free of the chains. And I guess that's explanation enough, if you like. But for me, it's a little bit like... hmm, No, Terry just
1: says, I saw him outside. He was like this already. And then later on, she says that the chains came from the box. And she took the box, put it in her bag. As you would do if something with, you know, if chains (laughs) came out of it. Yeah. With hooks on the end. I'll have some of that. Yeah. (laughs) Or maybe she was thinking, I'll take that in case it happens to someone else. She's, She's doing a good deed. Oh, yes. Yeah. Model citizen. She is. And so in the hospital, this guy, This is quite a good little bit with the guy with the chains, because all the chains start doing a weird Indian rope trick and hanging in mid-air, and then his head explodes.
0: Yeah, and I love the fact, for me, <laughs> this film has so many very silly moments in it, but one of them that I love is the fact that you see a shot of his head exploding, <laughs> and then it cuts to the uh, heartbeat monitor flatlining. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you're like, I think, I think I knew he was dead.
1: <laughs> but I think in the original... R-rated release in America, that head exploding wasn't in it. No. Yeah. Oh, my God. So there was just the heart monitor. Wow. So they knew something happened. He was pulled apart a little bit, and then he just died. Yeah. So Joey ends up inviting Terry back to her place, which is a bit convoluted. But she's asking around at the club what happened, what happened, and then Terry manages to get her card, gives her a call, ends up at her house and explains what, what she saw, the box and the chains and the chap.
0: Yeah, around this sort of point in the film, I think a lot of things happen. There's a lot of scenes that are quite convoluted, a lot of toing and froing. But the basic premise here at this point in the film, for all you guys who haven't seen it, or you have seen it, whatever, is that Pinhead is trapped in a statue and he wants out. Yeah, which
1: brings us to the other plot strand happening at the same time, is J.P. Monroe has this pillar in his bedroom and it's got Pinhead's head in it and it comes to life and needs to escape from the pillar. And the way it comes to life is, it well, first of all, JP gets bitten by a rat, and his blood squirts onto it, and because of that, the pillar starts to get some kind of a animation. And then later on, JP's having some wild, crazy sex with a young lady he's picked up, and the pillar grabs her with little chains, skins her, and then drags her whole body into itself. Yeah. And it's at that point, the pinhead comes to life properly, and has to talk his way out of the pillar. And this is an interesting thing. Pinhead is not completely omnipotent at this point. He's not really powerful. He's trapped inside this pillar and has to get out, but he can't get out on his own. So he's got to talk other people into helping him. He needs to manipulate them into helping him.
0: Yeah, it's the classic devil's bargain. Pinhead's stuck in the statue and... He talks people round, he tells them what they want to hear, and he's persuading J.P. to help him. He's just eaten a woman in front of him, (laughs) and he's like, come on, you're like me, you like doing naughty stuff, blah, blah, blah. And basically J.P.'s like, yeah, okay, okay, I'll help you. Although J.P. was very mean to the lady just before she got eaten. Well, I think it's very much evident in the film that J.P. is quite an evil character. He's very amoral, he doesn't care about anything or anyone apart from himself. Although it is still a little bit of a leap that he jumps from, you know, being mean to girls he slept with into flat out wanting to see them skinned alive in front of him. <laughs> yeah, because
1: Pinhead doesn't really give him that much to go on. He says that he can make him powerful and he says, you like doing art, Well, we can turn people into art. <laughs> and JP goes, yeah, not a bad plan. And so this idea of having to have someone help you escape is very similar to Frank in the first film. In that one, he needed Julia to help him become whole again. In this one, Pinhead needs JP to get out of the pillar.
0: Yeah, exactly. And when JP has brought Terry to the club because Pinhead wants another girl to eat and he brings Terry back there because they used to go out together and he's desperately trying to make her come near the statue so Pinhead can get her mm. and she doesn't want to do it and the actor playing uh, JP at this moment is full on evil mode his face yeah. the looks on his face he's so he's completely gone over to the dark side he is so evil at this point uh, and he almost gets Terry near the statue, and then he doesn't, and then he tries to pull her towards it, and she overpowers him, and then Pinhead instantly turns on JP. Yeah, And he then instantly makes a bargain with Terry, which is a scene, actually, I really like, that she's about to run out of the room, and Pinhead is like, wait, wait, I can give you what you want, even though I've literally just betrayed this guy. And the reason she says yes and this is interesting, is that he
1: promises to give her dreams and she doesn't dream, mm. which they make explicit earlier on when she's in Joey's place. But she says, oh, I don't dream. And she's really jealous of people who do dream. And so Pinhead says, I can show you such things. I can show you such dreams. And she goes, ah, all right.
0: Yeah, it's the classic thing with Pinhead. I think um, the the main problem is that he's very eloquent, And he talks about dark dreams and strange sights I can show you. And people get kind of swept up in that and they go, yeah, that sounds great. But they don't realise it involves them being sliced to pieces and Mm -hmm. (laughs) taken to hell and so on.
1: But that bit is interesting because, as you said, she's about to leave. And the reason Pinhead calls her back, from his point of view, is he can't reach JP on the floor. He's like, oh no, hang on, wait. And he needs her to push him over to the pillar so he can grab him and that's really interesting because, he's, because he needs her to help and he's being completely selfish but having to think quickly and talk her into it which is a big trait of Pinhead shown in this film he's a very quick thinker and he can totally manipulate people
0: yeah, I like that aspect of his character. I like the kind of Faust thing that he's like trying to make a bargain with people. And mm. I think towards the beginning of the film in these scenes, that's very interesting. Unfortunately, it's kind of lessened as we go on, as more of the pinhead slasher icon stuff comes in.
1: Yeah, this film was written by Peter Atkins, who wrote the second one and worked quite closely with Clive Barker on the second one. So it does have the same writer And you can tell, I think you can tell that in terms of Pinhead's dialogue and some of the interesting ideas that happen in the film. But then I think in terms of the slasher aspect, which we'll get to later on, that seems to be more the studio getting involved and wanting basically to see Pinhead roaming around killing people.
0: Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think you've hit the nail into the head there. Yeah, in (laughs) that you really can tell in this film that they're still trying to go for something a little bit unusual as the first two films certainly were something a little bit arty a bit interesting and there's also a big studio system coming in here saying well if we're going to make a third film then we want these things to happen we'll tear your soul
1: a podcast so when pinhead manages to grab jp That's when he finally managed to break free of this pillar. And he's there. He's now in the real world to do as he pleases. And he extends his hand to Terry saying, Hey, come and join me. And that's it. And he's here.
0: Yeah. He's he's here on Earth. Yeah. Unbound. Hell
1: on Earth. Oh. Meanwhile, Joey is being haunted by dreams of her father who died in Vietnam. And also she's having these strange dreams about a British army officer who we already know is going to become Pinhead. One thing I want to clear up now is I made a mistake on the last podcast. I referred to him as a general, and he's not. He's a captain. And and I did know that, and I don't know why I said that in the podcast. It was a mistake, a slip of the tongue. I apologise. You got swept away in the moment. (laughs) I do. I did. I'm sorry. Anyway, and it turns out this character, Captain Elliot Spencer, mentioned by name for the first time in this film, He is able to contact Joey because to dream of one war is to dream of all wars and he was a captain in the First World War so he can infiltrate her dreams and chat to her. That's is that what they that's what he implies. Isn't it? That's, that's kind what of he what he
0: implies. Yeah, I mean, this is the part. This is why you may sound, hear us sounding a little confused at this mm. point because <laughs> this is where the film starts to make a lot less sense in, in terms yeah. of actually describing what happens in the plot. It gets a bit muddy. Mm. But yeah, basically, the thrust of it here is that Elliot Spencer is now divorced from Pinhead. Basically, he says in the second film that Kirsty set him free. So there is now the spirit of Elliot Spencer, the pure man Mm -hmm. in the dream world. There is also Pinhead, who is now unbound, freed from hell out in the earth. And Elliot Spencer's spirit wants to stop that happening.
1: Yeah, so Pinhead is literally the evil side of Elliot Spencer made flesh. And speaking of Kirsty, we have kind of met her briefly in this film. There is a there is a small cameo by her in this film, which was filmed months before the rest of it, but was written for this movie. And it's video footage from her time at the Chunard Institute and her talking about the box and demons and that sort of thing. So we have our one returning character from the first two films, very
0: briefly seen on a TV screen. Yeah, and it's nice that they also mention the Chenard Institute in the film at in, in, in numerous points, you know. Yeah,
1: and they've got some papers and files that someone has been collecting and has left in this weird art gallery place where JP got the pillar from the beginning. They break into it and they find all these things from the Chenard Institute and pictures of Elliot Spencer, pictures of the box, and it's never really explained why they're there. Or who did that? Or who took them there? Is it? It's not, is it?
0: No, this is where it is a little bit muddy. If you, if you see that we've been trying to follow the logic of these films, at this point, you're like, okay... So now we have Pinhead, who is unbound on hell. We have Elliot Spencer, who is a pure soul stuck in no man's land dream world. Mm. We also wonder where Leviathan, if you remember from our last podcast, the god of hell, where is he in all this? Why is he allowing this to happen? Has he allowed this to happen? This is
1: the question, and we don't know the answer to this. This is the question. Someone put Pinhead in the pillar, right, at the Mm. end of number two. It's implied that... When he said, Kirsty freed me, I think that's a reference to Kirsty made me remember I was once human. Yeah. And then Chenard the Cenobite killed him. Yeah. So he died in hell, he died. Yeah. And then was in this pillar. Now, did Leviathan put him in the pillar or did he just get sucked into it in some way? Because in this one, number three, he's trying to escape from the pillar and he will then not be anything to do with hell. He'll be on earth. Which implies it's nothing to do with Leviathan, because Leviathan is the god of hell, and if and Pinhead's trying to escape from that whole hell thing, and it turns out later Pinhead is actually trying to get the box so he can close the doorway to hell forever, so he never has to go back there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I would say that um, with these little questions that we've got here, that the writers, the writer of these films, you know, they've they've looked into the bigger things in that in this film. Basically, what they want to say is here is Pinhead without the rules of hell, and he wants to keep it that way and stay on Earth, murdering everyone. However, they haven't really looked into all the ins and outs of why was he in a big statue, pillar, yeah. all that kind of stuff. You know, that's all kind of falls and by the wayside. And that's fine. Okay. to get him into, onto Earth. That's great. Yeah.
1: That's a nice idea. It's interesting.
0: It's a good visual, anyway. But that's good.
1: you need it to be rooted in the reality of the first two films Mm. and in these podcasts we've gone into ridiculous amount of detail pulling them apart and it's quite hard to do in this one because there are lots of unanswered questions
0: yeah absolutely there's definitely a few plot holes in this one yes and getting on to the
1: most confusing bit of the whole film the scene where elliot spencer talks to joey in the dream world this is what he says he says my evil half is now roaming earth unstoppable But then he says, you have to get him to my realm, implying this dimension that's based in the dream world. Get him here and I can deal with him because he wants to get that box from you so he can close the doorway to hell. And then he says, but he can't take it from you. You have to give it to him. Hmm. And none of this is explained why any of this is happening.
0: No, this is all what I would say is the people trying to make the story deeper, more interesting, However, they just make it needlessly confusing.
1: Yeah, and they have to give it to him, plot line turns into a pretty good twist near the end. Yeah. So maybe it was just for that. Hey, we've had this great idea for a twist, but you have to have the fact that he has to be given the box. Oh, okay, let's go and write that in that scene where yeah. Eric's talking to her. It wouldn't surprise me. So that's the main confusing bit out of the way. So that's basically what's happening. Now, let's get on to one of my favourite, this is my favourite scene of the whole film, where Pinhead finally is on Earth. He's been unleashed. And he turns up in the club and he just murders everyone. It's amazing. This is brilliant, this bit. So much fun. He locks all the doors so no one can get out. And he gets his little hooks and chains to grab people's <laughs> flesh and rip their faces apart. And...
0: The way that you just said it made me imagine him creeping around the club. Locking all the doors individually <laughs> then getting his hooks and chains. Out. Sorry, excuse me. I'm just going to grab Hang on a minute. Can I just. Oh, thanks. Thanks. <laughs>
1: yeah, just... No, it's all right. Go back.
0: It's fine. Sorry. Sorry. Carry on. Carry on dancing.
1: Um, no, but this is great. No, this is all done su- with supernatural powers. And not only can he do the slamming of the doors and the chains, but he now can manipulate any object in the looks of things. Yeah, he's super powered now. He is. He's able to make CDs spin, become razor sharp, and embed themselves into the DJ's head. Yeah. We'll talk more about him in a minute. Mm. (laughs) But he can do other things, like levitate water into the shape of his face, then turn it into an ice shard, and then jam that into someone's face.
0: Yeah, and I remember when this film came out, and I remember this; these were the kind of effects that people were really wowed about. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Know, water coming out of a glass you know, in a kind of CG effect, and then transforming into his face, and then turning into an ice shard and slamming into a woman's face was very exciting for everyone well, it at is. the time.
1: And this is, this is a big, important deal. This was one of the first horror films, if not the first horror film ever ever to use CGI
0: yeah, yeah, there's a few morphing effects in there and bits and bobs yeah, which some of them are more successful than others, mm-hmm. but there are some great moments, like that little ice bit is fun, it is as you say, this whole club bit is fun there's a <laughs> lot of very inventive, cool deaths, yeah, It all in a row great special effects, yeah, amazing special effects, and I'm sure most
1: of them are all cut out of the R rated version, but we always, over here, we had it uncut from day one,
0: and it's brilliant. People getting their faces ripped off and hooks going through people into other people. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. And the, the best part of this, for me, I think,
1: is right at the end of all this carnage, there's a shot of outside one of the exit doors that's been locked, and the camera just pulls away very slowly, and you can just hear the carnage going on inside and see blood slowly seeping through the bottom of the door. Yeah, it's brilliant. And it's just really classy i think that's great a really good way to end that scene
0: it's excellent it is and i think you know this scene is a good scene however i do think this is the point where the people in charge of the studio are saying okay we've got slashers out there we've got your freddies your jasons Mm -hmm. michael myers well maybe pinhead could step up in that kind of genre to be a slasher icon and look what he can do he can take out a whole club worth of people in one go yeah and for those of you who think that Pinhead did just become a slasher and that was it, that's not really
1: the case. I mean, in this film he is, but from, from now on in the films, there aren't any other films really that where he's just being a slasher. The other films are pretty much all about other individual people or the mythology of the box and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that the plan for these films kind of went a little awry. I think that in this film they thought okay, we've had this kind of culty films, let's make it into a slasher type genre, let's go for it, a slasher franchise. And this film did quite well for the company, it did very mm-hmm. well. Mm. And then I think the film after this, which is going to be our next podcast, kind of killed it. The rest of the films after this were all just kind of struggling to find something and I don't know what that and was. And they were all
1: straight to video, straight to DVD. Yeah. I think the next one, the fourth one is the last one that got a cinema release.
0: Yeah. And in my mind, it's the last one that kind of in any way ties up the Hellraiser franchise. Mm. After that, they're all very self-contained yeah. and very much possibly not even Hellraiser films.
1: Well, hey. But we'll debate hey that. Hey now. That's we'll for debate another that time at another time. Because I love some of the later ones. Some of them are good, I will, I will agree. But no, we'll talk much more about this on later podcasts. Yeah. Right. So now I want to talk about something that happens in this film that we have never seen before in either of the other two. Pinhead is able to create other Cenobites. Yeah. This has never happened before. It's only ever been Leviathan, as far as we're aware, that can create other Cenobites. Mm-hmm. But Pinhead chooses what I guess are some of his favourite kills in the club and turns these people into Cenobites. So let's talk about these one by one because they're a bit strange.
0: I can see what they were going for with the idea of... Again, if it's a slasher franchise, every new film, there can be new Cenobites. Yeah. But with these ones as the first ones, I think the idea is dead in the water.
1: Now, first of all, I want to talk about the CD Cenobite, Mm. who apparently is a fan favourite. But we're both big fans. Yeah. Is he one of your favourites? He certainly isn't. He's not one of my favourites. Nope. He's a bit silly. And this is the film that I've probably seen the most. I watched this film a lot when I was a kid. So I should love all this, like from a childish point of view. Mm. And I always thought this guy was a bit silly. Yeah. So this is the DJ who got killed by CDs in the club. And he's now got CDs implanted in his head and his mouth. And he kills people by throwing razor sharp CDs at them and embedding them into their faces.
0: Yeah. I mean, he sounds kind of robotic. He sounds yeah, like every a time he moves, player there's a... When he moves. Um, he's just stupid. I mean, the character <laughs> is just bad. Well, I kind of agree with you. And his mouth looks like it's zipped up. He's got a CD in his mouth. Yeah. And with like a piece of leather over that somehow. But yeah, I don't, I hate to be completely negative about something, but this idea just seems like they were going, it's the 90s, let's do something fun, mm-hmm. but also hellraisery, and it just doesn't Yeah, look, work. we're
1: being modern. Yeah. Yeah. In the next film, maybe there'll be someone who has MP3s shooting out of them. <laughs> iPods coming out of his eyes. <laughs> <Yeah>. iPods. <laughs> iPods. Uh, look at my new henchman, iPod. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to another another new Cenobite. Okay, the barman in the club. Mm. Here's a little fact for you, film fans. The guy that plays the barman in the club is Peter Atkins, the writer of this film and the previous film.
0: Yeah. Which is lovely. It is lovely, and I think there's a lot of that in this film.
1: I, a lot well, yeah, there's a lot of... Hey, my mate's an actor. Yeah. <laughs> Can he be in the film? Yeah. But no, Peter Atkins plays the bartender and then also the Cenobite he's turned into, who is referred to as the Barbie Cenobite. What not, a ridiculous name. Not because he's been turned into a thin blonde lady with no <laughs> genitalia. <laughs> he is covered in
0: barbed wire. Yeah. He also shoots fire out of his mouth. So he's like a Barbie. Q. Barbecue. <laughs> that's the way I interpreted it. Do interpret you reckon that's it. what it is? That's what I interpreted it I actually it as. hadn't thought of
1: that. But no, he's killed in the club with barbed wire wrapping around his face and he's now this big fat butterball shaped, oh, Miss Butterball, Aww. Where is he? He couldn't do this film because he was doing the sitcom. He was doing the sitcom. Anyway, he's turned into a big fat Cenobite who can breathe fire and carries around a cocktail shaker that turns out is full of gasoline, which is quite dangerous really.
0: Mm. And it's very specific. I mean, I think each one of these Cenobites is purely created for the one scene where their power works. Like, you know, you've got the DJ guy who, like, throws the CD at someone's head and they die. You've got the Barbie guy (laughs) who who throws some gasoline on some police officers and then breathes fire out of his mouth and they they blow up.
1: Yeah. And the final new Cenobite that we're introduced to in this scene we're talking about Which, by the way, which we have mentioned, is Joey trying to escape, running away from the club, running down a street and being terrorised from all directions by new Cenobites. Mm -hmm. The last one is actually... Hulk Hogan. (laughs) (laughs) No. 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 Joey's cameraman, Doc, who was first on the scene because she told him to meet her at the club. She goes into the club and finds out he's had his head cut off. Yeah. And it's in his lap. Mm -hmm. But then he turns up as a Cenobite... And he was a he was a cameraman, remember? Yeah. He was a cameraman. So
0: what happens to him when he's a cenovite? He's got a massive camera lens in his eye. In his eye. In his eye. So he can he has the power to make televisions explode at a distance. Yeah. And also ram his camera lens <laughs> into your head. Yeah, like the
1: aliens' second set of jaws in Alien. Mm-hmm. So, so he's referred to as either the dock Cenobite or camera head
0: yeah in all seriousness this kind of instant Cenobite making does take away some of the the mystery and the intrigue about the other Cenobites. What have they gone through? Hmm. What were they doing? You know, all the tortures they'd suffered in hell before they became Cenobites. Now it's literally like you can be turned, you can be killed in one scene and in the next scene you have the whole leather costume. Yeah. You've got all the the gear. You've got all these weird wounds all over you. Yeah, you've got some powers. You've got powers. And weirdly, if you were actually a really nice person in life as as, as some of the people in this Yeah, were. Doc was. Yeah, Doc loved Joey, but he now wants to kill her. He completely wants to kill her. Yeah. Unreasoning total destruction from Doc against his very good friend, Joey, yeah. who he goes out his way to help throughout the film.
1: It certainly implied that your whole temperament and ideals are changed when you are a Cenobite.
0: Which I think is a bit of a cop-out, because I like the idea that the people who open the box are doing something wrong. They're doing something naughty. They are already explorers in the outer reaches of pleasure and of pain and things, and they want to do something a bit deviant. What about the little boy who became Chatterer? But that's what I think, you know? I mean, isn't that a great story? Like, what was was going on with him? But, you know, certainly I think the other people... Like, Frank, you know, they were opening this box for strange reasons, and then if they are chosen to be Cenobites, it brings out the deviancy that's already exists in them. Like Dr. Shenard, mm. He yeah. was a very evil guy in yeah. real life, and it just
1: amplified that. And then here's another good example of that from this film. The final two Cenobites we meet, new Cenobites, we meet them right at the end, are J.P. Monroe and Terry, the girl. They've both been turned into Cenobites. And JP was a bit of a shit. Wasn't he? Anyway. He was. He was so a evil thought. guy. He can be a Cenobite. He was bad. He killed his mum and dad. He did with a gun. Yeah. Naughty. Mm-hmm. But Terry was a nice girl. Misunderstood. She was, she was involved with him, but she wasn't a genuinely nice person. Yeah,
0: she was just, she was just, didn't know what she was doing. She was getting involved with things she didn't know I don't understand. And then we
1: find her being really mean to joey although the argument for that is she received a phone call earlier on or, or heard a answer phone message meant for joey from a work colleague saying hey that job in wherever it was i can't remember has come up so i guess you'll be leaving and then she assumes that joey even though she said she could stay with her for as long as she wanted isn't going to be around and lied to her
0: yeah i guess the argument is that pinhead poisoned her towards joey yeah. And so she didn't like her.
1: So that's why she's burning her with cigarettes. At the end yeah. Of the day.
0: And there you go. That this again here is a little bit like, oh, maybe we're running out of ideas here, guys, because yeah. she basically has exactly the same Cenobite costume and makeup as the female Cenobite that we know and love from the first two films. However, she has a cigarette in the wound in her throat because her character, Terry, uh, like smoking a lot and her power seems to be that she can burn you on the arms with cigarettes yeah it's
1: not exactly the same makeup as the female Cenobite the skin is stretched tight on her face yeah and she hasn't got those weird wires sticking into her cheeks and no I mean it's, it's
0: slightly different but it, it's very much but she's got the
1: exact same wound in her neck
0: yeah it, it, I mean it's very it much a, it a looks... cigarette in it yeah it looks like a, a sort of a little like well we could do this yeah, yeah we've got I mean, this left over yeah and let's talk about JP's
1: Cenobite. Piston Head. Yeah, Piston Head. Because when he was killed by Pinhead, he drove these massive pistons into his brain and through the other side of his head. And now they're constantly moving and gyrating in his head and he can't keep still. Doesn't look very comfortable.
0: It doesn't look nice, to be fair. And he says it feels better than sex.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Which I guess is is one of the, the points of it. He's bedded so many women and then been really nasty to them, now he's being penetrated by the Cenobites. Whoa, that's deep, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) That's deep. Yeah. Well, it's so deep it's out the other side, in this case. (laughs) But I'm not a huge fan of his Cenobite, it must be said.
0: No, they have a very, very brief scene, but it's all, at this point, spiralling out of control... For me, the plot is going, what, where people are chasing her? What's going on with Pinhead? Why have all these people turned up? It's I mean, you know, it's a little bit like, mm, okay, guys, get it back on track here. Mm -hmm. And then Pinhead turns up and
1: Joey's there as well. This is this. She's been cornered. And basically the box kind of opens itself, really, doesn't it? yeah she, she's playing around with it trying to solve it like Kirsty told her to do in the video and it kind of solves itself and this is another interesting thing in the video from the chenard institute Kirsty says something about the box wants to be solved mm-hmm. and she said she's trying to describe how you open it set and saying that you know no one i don't really know i was just sort of playing with it and it solved itself around me it made me do these movements Which answers a question that we asked in the first podcast, is to how how people know how to do it. And it seems like the box is helping you.
0: Yeah, I think so. And um, certainly in these films, I mean, it's called the puzzle box. Well, it's not officially called that, but we know of it as a puzzle box. Mm. However, it does solve itself at the drop of a hat. (laughs) You only have to touch it with your hands and it basically opens. You drop it on the floor and it opens.
1: how about this? Leviathan is aware... The Pinhead has made all of these other Cenobites, isn't happy about it, so he takes the law into himself to summon them back, or summon them to hell, through the box. So it's actually Leviathan doing it.
0: Ah, uh, yes. or so, Possibly.
1: But saying that, Pinhead himself is sucked into the box, then all of a sudden we're outside in a field, and Joey's dad turns up, and she's like, oh, daddy! And she's quite happy, and then he says, yeah, do you want to give me that box? This is the twist that we spoke <laughs> of earlier. Which is, it's not that bad in the film. He says something like, they said, you'd have something for me that you don't need anymore. And she gives him the box. Then he says, thank you. And turns out that was Pinhead. So Pinhead wasn't sucked into hell, but that, you know, it might be because he escaped from the pillar. He's now got much more powers. Yeah, But this then is, it. is he in the dream world now? That's the question. This he is, is. Well, this is it. Somehow he's been sucked into the Joey's dream world. And because of that, all of a sudden, Elliot Spencer turns up and says, now look here, you bad man, and tries to stop him. But before he can, Pinhead manages to truss up Joey in some leather bondage gear. Yeah. And then says to Elliot Spencer, look, come on, you know you love all this.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Which I think is great because yeah. it does suggest that Elliot Spencer, before he opened the box in the 1920s, was into some very kind of kinky stuff, yeah. Yeah, which sure I think was. is interesting.
1: Because, yeah, he was definitely a flawed character. He says that himself and he wanted to open the box to discover pleasure and pain. Yeah. And Pinhead reminds him of that and says, no, I, know, I, know we're, I know we've done some nasty things since, but remember you used to love all this.
0: I mean, that scene is actually really brilliant. I mean, it's silly in that she's there covering these leather bondage gear and there's this huge kind of mechanical penis, penis <laughs> trying to sort of violate her. And But it's great to have the human and the pinhead basically facing each other, the two halves of the same person, one of them going, come on, you know you want this, and the other one going, do I? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think that's great.
1: It is great. And then the big climax is their heads merge together. Mm. And it seems that Pinhead absorbs Elliot Spencer. Yep. But then, the last minute, Elliot comes through again and, and pleads with Joey to send him to hell. And she manages to turn the box into that weird sort of Leviathan style sharp implement. Yeah. And stabs him. And he gets sucked into the box. Mm. And that's it. And then there's the box on the floor again.
0: There is a secret song at the center of the world, Joey. And its sound is like the Hellraiser podcast.
1: So, talking about these other Cenobites, there's one thing that I do feel when I watch the film, and it's, it's slightly part of me thinking, where's Chatterer? Where's, where's Butterball? I like uh, them. And for me, there's a line even, Pinhead is referring to his new Cenobites and says, they're a shadow of my former troops. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, they are. <laughs> they're rubbish. <laughs> don't say that. I mean, don't make it clear that you, you're aware of that too. Do you think that, I don't that, think that the I, think I, don't, I don't think they're rubbish. I'm just going to say that. I don't think they are rubbish. I'm not a big fan of Piston Head. I'm not a massive fan of CD. And uh, Camera Head is a bit silly as well. So. Actually, I think that the Terry's Cenobite, who referred to as the Dreamer as well, she's a bit, she's not great either. I mean. <laughs> so I like Barbie.
0: <laughs> I don't, yeah. When I say they're rubbish, I'm not being... Dismissive, but they're not great. The makeup is good. Yeah, the makeup is good. The ideas behind them aren't as strong as they
1: could be. I mean, like Chatterer, for example, is a really simple idea and it's horrific and terrifying.
0: But it's horrific because it's mysterious. Because you don't know where he came from and why that happened to him. And Butterball
1: doesn't do anything. No. He's just there, lurking. And that's great. And these ones, they're very specifically this guy does this, this guy does that.
0: Look, isn't that cool? I feel like an old man in that I want to rant about, like, Hellraiser (laughs) 3 is, like, the modern thing of, like, well, we have to have it now. Like, you know, rather than the other ones who obviously became Cenobites over many years and they were tortured and they had things happen to them and then that happened. This one is, like, you die, the next scene, you've got the leather costume, you're a Cenobite, you've got the powers. And that just seems a bit lame to me. Bring back Chatterer. Yeah.
1: I like him. Right, so let's move on to the end of the film. Joey has this box... That has sucked all the Cenobites into it. She knows that it's quite powerful and it can do some damage. So what does she do? She puts it into some wet concrete Mm -hmm. to get rid of it forever. Yeah. Which is fine. Good idea. Is it? I think so. It's alright. It's not a bad idea. We know that she can't burn it because a skeletal dragon might turn up and steal it. Mm -hmm. But then, the very last shot of the film, we're introduced to this building, big building... That's on the site where she put the box into the concrete. Yeah. And all the walls have the design of the puzzle box on them.
0: So it's like the box has infected the building. Yeah. The whole building has become a box. So surely the next films will be about this building. So the next film will be about architecture. Yeah. Wow. And it kind of is, you know, in a way. Don't want to give anything away now. No. I wonder what, what happened in that building. Maybe that's what the next film will be about. Revelations. The, the ninth film. The ninth The tenth film. film. It's about this building where people... Yeah, the
1: tenth one's going to be
0: all about this building. They work in offices. Yeah. But, like, it's really oppressive. And in, there are chains everywhere. There's
1: chains everywhere. And Pinhead is the managing director of the company.
0: <laughs> Chatterer is the tea... Tea boy. <laughs> Butterball works in the canteen. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Pistonhead's the mechanic.
0: and the dreamer she smokes outside yeah outside now though oh yeah because you can't smoke inside you can't smoke inside anymore
1: good excellent so we mentioned the next film there which leads us nicely to saying thank you for joining us for this podcast our next podcast will be all about Hellraiser Bloodline so as I mentioned earlier on there are no more numbers so you have to just pay attention right pay attention now yeah you yeah number four Is just called Hellraiser Bloodline. So watch it when you've listened to this, because we're going to be talking about that next time. Mm. But just before we go, I want to say a couple more things. First of all, thank you everyone who's downloaded us so far. It's it's a real joy to see the downloads, because we weren't sure whether this was going to be popular, and it has been, so that's brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank
0: you so much, it's Um, great.
1: And do pass it on to all your friends and your family, because we just want to create somewhere where lots of fans can come together and, and just chat. Speaking of which, do send us your feedback, anything you want to talk about, if we've missed anything, if anything you disagree with, or things you'd like us to talk about in the well, things you like. Or well, things you like, yeah. Tell us what you like. Which, we like to hear what you like. Which yeah, we've had some great feedback already, so yeah. keep sending that in. Which who's your favourite Cenobite? What's your favourite film? Who's what? better? Camerahead <laughs> or, or Piston, piston Head? <laughs> <laughs> so the 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 email address is Hellraiserpodcast at hotmail.co.uk So send all your information there. That would be great. We'd love to hear from you. And do follow us on Twitter as well. It's HellraiserCast. We're known as at HellraiserCast. But you can find it just if you type in Hellraiser Podcast, I think, probably. Yeah. And we haven't got many followers at the moment, which I think is putting people off. But the reason for that is it's pretty new. We've only just started doing this. So don't let the number of followers put you off. You can help bump up the numbers. So just follow us on. We're going to have some fun facts on Twitter coming out. And, you know, it's a good way of getting people chatting.
0: Yeah, we're going to have all that on Twitter. And yeah, anybody that you think might like this podcast, anything at all, please point them in the direction of it because we'd love to keep on doing it. And the more people we have listening to us, the more we can keep on doing it. Yeah. And we have a Facebook page. So look out for that
1: and join us on that.
0: Yep, hopefully we'll have lots of good discussions going on the Facebook page too. Mm. Mm. And if
1: you want to leave us an iTunes review, that would be lovely as well. We had a couple of good ones.
0: Uh, let's get some more. <laughs> yes, please, please do, please do, because that helps a lot of people download it.
1: So thank you so much for listening. It's always a pleasure. Never a chore. No. Thank you very much, Phil. Thank you very much, Peter. <laughs> and we'll see you all next time for Hellraiser Bloodline. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Phil! Phil! You forgot your box! Oh, he's gone. Oh, I didn't realise he had one with moving parts. <laughs>